Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Please be seated. Happy All Saints Sunday, Saints of Ascension. It's good to be with you all in person after my three months away. There's something so sweet about returning to our parish on this feast that celebrates the communion of saints across time and space. I carried you with me in my travels and in my prayers, but I'm glad to be here together, glad to see and hear and touch and sense you in all those embodied ways. As many of you know, I spent the month of September in Israel and Palestine, the land so many peoples call holy. It's ancient, multi-layered, richly fascinating, moving and heartbreaking, especially now as terrible conflict has erupted so openly and with such dreadful violence. The trip filled me with sights and sounds and smells and tastes, heat and landscapes, the old city of Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee and the Judean wilderness, all the places where our tradition says Jesus preached and prayed and lived and died and met his friends again after his death. I was also able to hear from Palestinians and Israelis about their lives and work and their struggles and dreams in congregations and hospital ministries and refugee camps and farms. Jews and Muslims and Christians who sometimes name themselves the living stones of the land. I had a particular interest in the work of the Anglican Diocese of Jerusalem as well as of some other Palestinian Christians, they welcomed me and asked to be remembered in prayer. I'm definitely still metabolizing it all. I'm by no means an expert on anything except my own experience, and I know that some of you have taken similar journeys, and a few at least have far more time and deep relationships with people in that land. So I hope we can share our stories in the days to come. I stopped for a week in Greece after I left Jerusalem in late September to chill on an island, swim in the Mediterranean, and generally decompress. I flew home on October 4th. Still jet-lagged, I woke early on October 7th to a host of notices on my phone. I'm sure you had similar experiences. With dawning horror, I read about the massacre of Jewish civilians by Hamas on Shabbat, at a music festival in their homes, babies, elders, entire families, some of them people who worked for peace for decades. Israeli Arabs, Bedouin, International citizens, too, were among those killed. The scale of it, this largest murder of Jews since the Holocaust, with about 1,400 dead and some 4,000 wounded, and the cruelty 
emerged over the next few days, as well as the realization that over 200 people had been taken as hostages into Gaza. It has taken time, indeed, it's still unfolding for me, grasping the horror of it. And for me, this was compounded because very quickly, I began to feel horror about what I feared would come next, and indeed, what has come next. That, of course, is the bombing, the complete siege, and now the ground fighting in Gaza as Israel wages war on Hamas. Already suffering under 16 years of Israeli blockade, the civilian population of Gaza has no safe place to go. Despite warnings to move south, away from Gaza City, the bombing has hit all areas of the Strip, including hospitals, schools, and shelters run by the UN. Whole families have been wiped out in a single strike. As of yesterday, the death count was about 9,500, including 4,000 children and almost 25,000 wounded, to say nothing of those lost under the rubble. The lack of food and water and fuel and medicine is a humanitarian catastrophe. It's easy to understand Israel's determination to destroy Hamas and ensure that the massacre of October 7th cannot be repeated. May it be never again, indeed. It is, however, hard for me to justify the level of the response and the killing of thousands of civilians. I also wonder how this impacts the safety of the hostages who are at risk from the bombardment and whose return to their loved ones we must pray for urgently. And of course, the deeper foundational questions of justice and equity, safety and security, freedom and dignity for all inhabitants of the land, Palestinians, Israelis, and others, Jews, Muslims, and Christians, these questions are only made more painfully thorny by the violence of the last month. Revenge has a way of begetting more revenge, and hope, which we desperately need, is hard to come by. Meanwhile, these events have churned up hatred and prejudice and misinformation all around the world. In our country, anti-Semitism is sharply on the rise in word and deed, and so are anti-Muslim attacks and rhetoric. Freedom of speech is also under threat, with dissent sometimes being conflated with support for terrorism. What a sad, scary, difficult time. With so much suffering and violence, how are we to follow Jesus? That is, how shall we be saints, members of the body of the crucified and risen Christ, and part of the communion of God's beloved people in the most expansive sense that is aware that beloved community stretches across all the borders and boundaries and divisions that we may try to establish. I don't have a simple answer or a single answer, but our gospel for today, this familiar and beloved text of the Beatitudes, offers some direction, especially in times of struggle and pain. These 12 verses are the foundation of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, 
They are not a how-to. Rather, they are a blessing manifesto. They declare God's love and presence right here, right now, where you might least expect it. You've probably heard me say before that my take on the Beatitudes is that they are about longing. They speak to the space between what is and what may be. They point to divine presence in apparent absence. The people Jesus blesses have reason to know that the world isn't working as it is. They look and they live towards a vision of comfort and healing and justice and peace, the promised reign of God. Blessed are you, says Jesus. Blessing is God's fundamental relationship with creation. It's about delight and love and belonging. A blessing proclaims God's goodness and presence. There, there is God, and it multiplies it. Blessed, blessed. When we say to someone, bless you, we are often praying, even if they've just sneezed. May you be well. May you be whole. May you be filled with joy, filled with God. May you know in your entire being that you are loved. The Beatitudes bless such unlikely people. These are not folks who have it all together. They don't have a lot of power or a lot of stuff. What they do have is awareness and alignment with God's own vision. They are open to the coming and the mysterious glimmers of the presence of the kingdom because they know how much they need it. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Unlike Luke, Matthew does not focus only on economic poverty. He includes this interior dimension. For me, spiritual poverty means vulnerability, the awareness of my limitations, and willingness to admit that I may even be wrong. I may not know something important. This is our need to know. This is knowing our need, our need of God and also of one another. Blessed are those who mourn. Interestingly, the Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine says in a lecture on the Beatitudes that this is her favorite one. Not everyone, she says, is able to mourn. Some are stony-hearted or cynical or ashamed. Some have no space to mourn or they have shut down. Some have so much loss and trauma that they cannot find enough trust to enter into the space of lament and mourning. Worst of all, some have never dared to love anyone or anything enough to mourn it. This beatitude strikes me as particularly important in this time of so much grievous loss, loss of loved ones, of trust, of hope. Some of us may need to mourn for a long time before we can do anything. Some of us may need to lament our failures of love or our apathy to others' pain or our complicity or simply the ongoing injustices of the world across generations. Blessed are you who mourn, says Jesus. You will find comfort May we find ways to comfort each other. Blessed are the meek. 
The meek are not doormats. They are gentle. Amy Jill Levine says that the meek are not necessarily powerless, but they do not need to throw their power around. They can act with restraint. They can listen to and learn from people with whom they disagree. They are grounded in the earth they will inherit, so they do not exploit it, but they tend it, they share it. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for justice, for right relationships, justice that is restorative, that restores relationship, that is not vengeful. Sometimes this is so hard. Friends, what justice are you hungry for? Surely God's justice is grounded in the preciousness of each human being and God's desire that the dignity and vulnerability, the gifts and the needs of each and all be honored, and that justice, like a rolling stream, as the prophet says, be shared among all, the life force, the energy of all. I hear the words of Arundhati Roy set to a chant by our colleague Ana Hernandez, it goes, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing, she is on her way. May we catch that visionary longing for another world, for the realm of God, and may the deep listening guide us. Speaking of listening, Jesus continues with, blessed are the merciful. I love this beatitude, and one of my truest experiences of mercy is being listened to with a compassion that overcomes even my self-judgment and helps me to tell a new story. Mercy gives cups of cold water, gives kind words and food prepared with love. It's born of a heart that breaks open before our neighbor's need. It works persistently and practically and fiercely to free prisoners and hostages, to change unjust conditions, and to make sure everyone knows they are welcome. Mercy creates mutual aid, it seeks healing. It even forgives an enemy. Blessed are the pure in heart. I don't think purity in this sense means moral rigidity. Rather, purity of heart has to do with integrity, with a lack of pretense or hypocrisy or deceit. Maybe these folks see God because they are willing to be seen by God as they truly are. And in that mutual seeing, as our epistle for today says, they can be changed more and more into the likeness of God, to see God everywhere. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called God's children. 
It seems to me that this is the culmination of all the other Beatitudes. As we join with God in the work of reconciling the whole world. This is not peace imposed from above, maintaining an unjust but orderly status quo. It's the shalom, the salam, the messy fullness of life that we share with all our siblings, with the earth and her creatures, as we work through our conflicts, as we find common ground, as we struggle and forbear and listen and love and are generous. It requires confronting injustice and violence in our own hearts and minds, as well as in our relationships and churches and communities and our world. Peacemaking calls us to acknowledge what is broken and to seek healing together always together, as we struggle and care and stumble and rise, always by the mystery of grace. The final Beatitudes bless us when we're persecuted for doing what is good. I think Jesus is saying, look, this stuff is hard. Don't be surprised when you get pushback, and don't lose heart. Find your courage, Hold on to your companions and keep at it. You are not alone. You belong to a vaster communion than you know. All the saints and the prophets and the ancestors accompany you, and they pray with you and for you. Friends, how do the Beatitudes speak to you this All Saints Day? Each of us must discern what is our next right thing to do in these troubling and demanding times. You may feel called to speak out to our elected leaders, urging immediate ceasefire and entry of humanitarian aid into Gaza and attention to the return of the hostages. You may want to contribute money or time. There are a number of suggestions in our bulletin about how to give, and you may have some to share. We also carry on caring for those nearby. It helps when we feel helpless to impact the suffering of those far away. Surely we must stay open with mercy and gentleness to our neighbors on all sides of this conflict. We must listen especially to fears and hurts and hopes. We must learn with humility. We must find solidarity with both our Jewish siblings and our Palestinian siblings. Solidarity with our neighbors and our siblings is different from agreeing with their leaders. But our hearts can hold the pain of all our neighbors. There is no competition about who has been the most wounded. And of course, of course, let us stay connected in communion and conversation with each other. Let us keep praying. Let us keep loving, even, especially, when it's hard. Blessed are you, dear saints of Ascension. 
Blessed are you when you mourn and when you hope. Blessed is your vulnerability and your need and your kindness. Blessed are you as you strive for justice and seek peace. Blessed are you when you fail and struggle and when you try again and when you hold on tight to God's grace, when you find that God's grace holds tight to you. Blessed are you, beloved. Blessed are you.